Well, hello, New Life Friday night. Great to see you. Great to be with you. Glory to God. Praise God. Man, it's so fun to worship with you. You're a vibrant congregation. I always, always enjoy when I get to sneak in here and be in here on a Friday night. I love your pastor, Daniel Grothy, with all my heart. I've known Daniel for about 25 years. Uh, he's a legend in Tulsa, like the whole Grothy family, as you already knew that. Uh, but I've known Daniel and Lisa for a long time. I respect them, look up to them. In fact, I'm dressed like Daniel tonight. That's how much I uh, respect him. I'm working on the hairstyle too. Give it a few years. It'll get there. Give it a few years. We're, <laughs> We're in this series called How Do I? And it's a series based on the Proverbs. Proverbs is what many scholars refer to as wisdom literature. It guides us into being wise. But the goal of wisdom, as one theologian put it, is to just make us fully human, to be the kind of human we're supposed to be. You know, sometimes we say, well, I messed up, I'm only human. And actually the scriptures say, no, when we, when we mess up, we're living subhuman lives. We're living beneath the image of God creatures that we were made to be. And really, we could have saved this, uh, us, this trouble uh, for this whole series and just said, read Chasing Wisdom, because that's what this series is about. And I hope you do buy and read Chasing Wisdom. It is marvelous. Well, would you pray with me tonight as we begin to open the scriptures? Gracious Father in heaven, thank you that you speak. Thank you that your word is alive. Thank you that it is not stale or crusty. Thank you that the Spirit of God will breathe the words of God into our hearts tonight. So come and do that, we pray. Do it to the glory of the Father. Do it because of the Son. Do it by the power of the Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, this August, my wife Holly and I will celebrate 20 years of being married. It's a wonderful thing. We're very excited. And uh, when I, my wife is from a small farming community in Iowa, which is to say she's from Iowa. And um, <laughs> it, it is the kind of small farming town where everybody has known everybody for generations. Like the people who taught her in school taught her parents uh, in school. And the church that her parents got married in is the church that each of their parents got married in. I mean, people don't leave. They stay there. They pass on the farms from one generation to the next. And so there's these tight bonds of solidarity. But it also means that if you're trying to break into this community as an outsider, let alone a you know, kid from Malaysia that Holly met at college, there's going to be some challenges. And I remember one of my first visits to Akron, Iowa, in the little northwest corner of Iowa, I was trying to strike up a conversation with her grandfather. And uh, he's a man of few words. And, you know, he had his little Milwaukee beer, you know, just the, I'm told, the worst beer ever. And, um, and he's got it in his hand and he's watching some sort of, you know, one of the, some game on TV. And, and he gets up and he's doing stuff. And we're trying to, you know, build a, start a conversation. And he says, well, he says, well, lad, do you play pool? I said, well, you know, a little bit. He goes, hmm, try again. Do you bowl? I said, well, I took a class at ORU on bowling. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> he said, uh, do you play cards? I was like, some card games, Uno. And he kind of looked at me like, if you're a Midwesterner, you know, it's like P-Knuckle, 500. You got, there's some other games. So I, that, I was striking out quickly. And then he goes, well, lad, do you hunt? I thought, this is getting worse. I said, no. And he goes, well, do you fish? I said, no, I don't. And he just kind of looked at me and he goes, well, lad, what do you do? <laughs> I said, well, I play music. I like to read books. Eventually, we built our friendship on watching football games on Thanksgiving and things like that. And we got along. And I had the honor some years ago of actually being asked to preach at his funeral when he went home to be with the Lord. So that relationship eventually developed. But friendships as C.S. Lewis once remarked, friendships occur when one person looks up and finds another person standing next to them doing the same thing or enjoying the same thing. And you look up and you say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's the beginning of friendship, C.S. Lewis says. When you look up and you find another person, you're like, oh man, you too? I thought I was the only one. And making friends is easy when we're young. 
because life is sort of carefree and we're all just chasing our interests and activities and you find the friends who are doing the same stuff you're doing. But it gets harder as we get older. All of a sudden you're saddled with responsibilities and commitments and busyness. And maybe in our generation it's become particularly different, difficult because this is a generation that more people are living outside of the town that they grew up in than ever before in American history. There's something transient about our jobs and our lives that move us around and we find ourselves in places that are less familiar and certainly more lonely than before. In fact, Harvard did a study in October of last year and they discovered that 36% of adults, American adults, report feeling serious loneliness. And by serious loneliness, it means that they feel lonely frequently or almost all of the time or all of the time. 36% of American adults, when you zoom into that picture, mothers of young children, a lot of you in the room, 51% of mothers of young children say, I feel serious loneliness. Frequently, almost all of the time or all of the time. 51% moms with young children. Young people, young adults between 18 and 25, lots of you in the room. 61% of young people last October said, I feel serious loneliness. Serious loneliness. If you're wondering what the pandemic has done to our ache for connection and belonging, 43% of young adults, the most tech savvy of us all, 43% of young adults reported an increase of loneliness since the pandemic. 43% said there's an increase in this. We all know we need friends. We all know why friendships matter. Proverbs gives us some insight into why friendships matter. Friendships, friends can give us encouragement and friends can give us wisdom and friends can give us correction. We don't need a sermon tonight on why we need friends. We all know we need friends. The question tonight is how do I... Cultivate meaningful friendships? How do I actually cultivate friendship? How do we actually do this? And so tonight I want us to kind of sort of skim through the book of Proverbs and glean from it four things, four ways to cultivate friendship that we can glean from the wisdom of this book. And the first is this invest diversely. Invest diversely. Now, some of you might have. Uh, financial planners that help you with this. We just met with ours this week and he was telling us not to worry about this one and this one because this one might not be doing as well, but this one is and you kind of want this mix. I'm not exactly thinking about that sense of investing diversely when I think about friendships, although it is true that sometimes there'll be some friendships that you feel like, yeah, it's fine. It's not really clicking right now. We're not hanging out all the time, but it's okay. Maybe this is an encouragement to say, don't give up on that. Play the long game with those friendships. Some stocks don't perform the same way every year. It's okay. So you invest diversely. Some friendships ebb and flow. They breathe. They rise and fall. It's okay. You can have a broad array of friendships. But I'm also thinking about investing diversely in terms of the types of people you have relationship with. The types of friendships you are nurturing and cultivating. And to have a little bit of fun tonight, I thought maybe the best way to illustrate this is with the Lord of the Rings. I am glad to be in the company of so many nerds tonight. Thank you for that. The Fellowship of the Rings is a great picture for us of the kinds of different friendships that we need. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few. Are you ready? The first, in, the, in this sort of investing diversely, we all need a Gandalf in our life. You all need the sage. Now, Daniel has talked about this, the sage, pursuing the sage. You need older people in your life that can speak into the stage of life that you're in. You need people who are 10, 15, 20 years further along down the road than you are that you can go to them and say, tell me what you wish you had known when you were 25. Tell me what it's like, what you remember about being a, a dad with young kids at home. Tell me. And they'll say, yeah, I, I remember I'll tell you, Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. We need a Gandalf, a sage, a wise person 
in our life. About 12 or 13 years ago, a man in his 50s, I had known his kids from the mill uh, days here at New Life, and they had all gone to the Air Force Academy, and I'd kind of known him, but not that well, but he reached out to me and he said, let's have lunch. And we had lunch over at Panera, shops at Briargate, and he said, Glenn, I want to get to know you a little bit. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. And he said, so we're going to do some regular meals. He said, I'll pay, you pray, I'll ask you questions, you talk. I was like, okay, here we go. And so it began, my friendship with Dan O'Brien. We began doing this regularly, and after enough time, he got up enough confidence to say, Glenn, I'm concerned a little bit about how your your physical health is. You're just sort of, you know, you're kind of gaining a little weight. He wasn't that nice, actually, the way he said it. And he said, why don't, we, why don't we run together? And I was like, Dan, I don't run. He goes, exactly, but you're going to. <laughs> He's like, I can tell. And so for a full year, for a full year, Dan got me out of bed at something, some ungodly hour, like 5.30 or 6 or whatever. And we did it year-round through all kinds of weather. We met on the Santa Fe Trail, the Northgate Trailhead. And we would run, not very long, but we would run. And after we were done, we'd stop, I'd catch my breath, and we'd pray for one another. And as we began to do that, it turned out there were some pivotal seasons and decisions in his life as he was uh, making some decisions about what life post-retirement would look like. And we've become really close friends, but Dan is one of those voices. Now, I think for, for some of you, if you're on the younger end of this, you're listening to that and you're thinking, well, I, I, I want that, I, I hope for that. And the trick is we, we obsess over finding one north star. And you want to find the perfect sage. And I want to say to you, I want to suggest to you that actually what we need is a constellation of voices. And you, you, you'll, you'll be frustrated searching for that perfect sage. I, I need the one Gandalf. You may not find the one Gandalf, but you might find a constellation of voices. The second kind of relationship that we need as we invest diversely is you need an Aragorn in your life. You're like, I know, no kidding. An Aragorn, the king. The king, and we got that, yeah, we go, there we go. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I think of the Aragorn figure as the kind of person who can say no to you in your life, who can tell you, you're not going to do that. We're not going to fight the battle that way. We're going to go this way. In my life, that person is Pastor Brady. There are so many decisions, so many places, seasons in life where I have invited him into decisions that I wouldn't have had to. But I know that as a young man, I can benefit from the voice of a king that says, I don't think you should do that. And he's never heavy-handed about it. But even years ago, when I was discerning the decision to do doctoral work, I said, Pastor Brady, do you think this is something I should pursue. And he said, yes, but, but you should say no to all these other things in order to say yes to that. I wouldn't have come up with that conclusion myself. And the question is, you think about investing diversely in friendships is, do you have any friends that hold a kind of authority in your life that they could actually tell you no to some stupid decision that you're contemplating? The third sort of fellowship of the ring character is the dwarves. And we're having fun with this tonight, okay? Don't be too serious about this. The doors are like your peers. These are people who are in this, they're not in the same battle, but they're in the same war. Maybe it's like you're a business owner. These are other business owners. Maybe they're not in the same type of business as you, but you're all kind of, there's some similarities here. Maybe you're like, well, I've got young kids. They've got young kids. It's not the same battle, but we're generally in the same war. This is why we look for friends who are sort of in the same stage of life. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Some years ago, three, uh, well, a buddy of mine said, let's start a Zoom group. This was before Zoom was all the rage. And, uh, and he said, let's, let's meet together once a month. We're all pastors. And let's just have a safe place where we can talk about the challenges of our life as pastors. And so he said, you invite a friend of yours that's a pastor, not at New Life, and I'll invite a friend of mine who's a pastor, not at my church, and the four of us have kept this going every month. And there's some months where we miss, and there's some months where it doesn't happen. But to have that built-in rhythm helps me to remember whatever fight I'm facing, I'm not the only one in it. And we need that. You need that sometimes. You need peers 
who are in the battle, in the war, even if they're not in the same fight as you are. But we also need healers. And this is Elrond. This is that moment in the movie where Frodo's got the dagger and he's poisoned and he needs some healing. Listen, life the way it is, Daniel said it tonight, life the way it is leaves us weary. Sometimes it leaves us unwell. And we need friends that carry that gift of healing through their exhortation and insight. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. We need a friend that you can call when you've been dealt a blow at work. You've had a fight at home. Someone that you can call and say, help me, I, I, I don't know what's going on. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. From their heartfelt advice. My wife uh, years ago got her master's in counseling. And I often joke that it was just to be able to be married to me. But I have also discovered over the years that I need the voices of counselors and spiritual directors. I know that we don't typically think of that as friendships because those are not, you know, relationships that go both ways. But they are the kinds of relationships that we need to cultivate. We need the kinds of relationships that are sometimes referred to as spiritual friends. Friends who help bring a word of healing to your heart. We also need... Samwise. I mean, look at this. This is the, one of the greatest scenes in all of uh, movie history, right? I can't carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. We all need a friend, a brother, or a sister who can say, look, I can't carry your cross for you, but I will carry you. I can't do this. I can't walk this path for you, but I will be there. Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe one of the practical things you can do tonight is to take an inventory of your relationships and to say, am I investing diversely in different kinds of relationships? Or, or are all my friends people who think the same way and are in the same stage of life and are making all the same choices that I am? You might say, well, it might be time to diversify the way I'm cultivating friendships. Secondly, cultivating friendships means that we have to plan intentionally. We actually have to plan intentionally. In 2018, there was a study in the UK that said that the average Brits had 554 friends online. That's very specific. 554 friends online, the average Brit, but only had five true close friends. I suspect that's about on the mark for us, that 1% sort of ratio, where you have so many more Facebook friends than you do true face-to-face -face friends. How do we do this? How do we actually plan to have intentional friends? Seven or eight years ago, maybe it was six or seven years ago, I was sitting at a conference with my wife in Queens, New York, it was a conference called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And we were sitting near the front and they had us do this exercise and they said, we want you to kind of make a rule of life. Now you may be familiar with this tool, you may not be familiar with it. The idea is to come up with some rhythms and patterns for different areas of your life. And so there was four boxes and one box was about prayer. What are your rhythms of prayer? And I'm, you know, writing stuff down. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do, I do this. And, you know. and then rhythms of rest. I'm like, okay, well, we've, we've begun to, you know, sort of work on that. And we're always modifying that, but that's okay. And then rhythms of work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got lots to write down here. These are my rhythms of work and how I can maximize and become productive and all that. And then the last box was, and what are your habits of relationships? I remember sitting there in the middle of this auditorium in Queens, holding the pen in my hand, thinking, I, I don't, what do, what do you mean rhythms of friendship? You mean like purposefully booking in time with friends? And can I be honest with you for a moment? As, as someone who does the kind of work that we do, I, I, I honestly subconsciously felt guilty planning time with friends. And I thought, well, my time is supposed to be available for whoever wants it. 
for whoever needs it. And so anybody who asks, yes, I'm always available. But I realize, and that's all good and that's beautiful and holy. But I also realized in that moment that there was no moment in my life that I had actually chosen to build in to spend leisure time with friends. And I wonder... How many of you would say that's true? You're like, I don't know. I run into my friends. I, I, I see them at church. I, I see them in this carpool line, you know. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I went in the parking lot when we're dropping our kids off at stuff. And all of that's good. But it requires a kind of intentionality to really cultivate these friendships. Some years ago, the University of Kansas did a study on how many hours it actually takes to become close friends. You want to know? They said it takes 50 hours spent in leisure or at home or play to move a relationship from acquaintance to casual relationship. 50 hours. That's not too bad. 50 hours of leisure time, play, relax, chilling. 50 hours to go from acquaintance to casual. It takes 90 more hours to move from casual relationship to friendship. And it takes more than 200 leisure hours to be close friends. One of the reasons this becomes so difficult for us as we get into adulthood is we never thought we actually had to be intentional about this. We didn't used to. It was all easy. Back in college, we were in the dorms. If you felt like getting a pizza at midnight, you did. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, you know. And that's why there's all those memes and jokes online that say your whole of your 30s is looking at your friends and saying, we should get together sometime and then never actually getting together. But it requires a kind of intentionality. Proverbs warns us, though, it takes time, but not that much time. Proverbs 25, 17, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they'll hate you. (laughs) That's the flip side. It takes time, but maybe not that much time. Okay, the third thing is speak graciously. Speak graciously. When you do spend time with your friends, let your words be words that bring life. Proverbs 22, verse 11. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. You can have unexpected friendships if you learn to have a pure heart and speak with grace. Cultivating friendships doesn't mean that we're flawless, doesn't mean that we're the perfect individual, the ideal friend. Cultivating friendships a lot of times means learning how to say I'm sorry. It means learning how to say, you know what, when you said that, that it, it hit a nerve for me and I think it's because of these convictions that I have or this value that I have. But I don't really think you meant to say that, but I need to ask you. It means having quick, sometimes uncomfortable brief conversations to avoid the big blow up a year later. How many friendships do you have that you're like, I don't know what happened. I just said this one thing and that thing and now we don't call and I don't know. I responded to their thing on Facebook and then, I don't know, they never said anything back. And and so many friendships can be saved with a quick word of grace. A quick word of, hey, can I, was that okay? Did I, did I say something wrong there? Can I check in? Can we Keep short accounts. Speak graciously. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. One of the quickest ways to recognize that a friendship is is not going to last is if they start talking about your other friends in a negative way when they're not around. There's three people that are in a friend group and Two of you are together and the one person starts talking about the third person and you're like, oh boy, what are they saying when I'm not there? All of a sudden you've eroded the very foundation that the friendship is built on. The fourth piece of wisdom from Proverbs about cultivating friendship is to love consistently. To love consistently. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I've been on staff at New Life Church for almost 21 years. and The reason Daniel and I and John Egan and I and so many of the folks that are here, the reason why the friendships are thick are because of the fires that we've walked through together. Foxhole friends, 
are the kinds of friends that last. You find out a lot about who your friends are by what they do when you go through difficult times. I think one of the reasons why we struggle so much with cultivating friendships is we are, we are the Google review generation. And so someone's like, oh, this one only had four and a half stars. And you're like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that one. Right? And we're always on the hunt for the perfect thing. You go on vacation, you're like, consult Yelp. What is the very best food I should be eating right now? And so we're quick to like have one foot in and one foot out because if this isn't quite right, uh, let's go. And we have this sort of mentality with friendships where we're like, I don't know, it's okay. I don't, my small group is fine. And you quit before it can actually become something. You quit before it can actually develop roots. The longest study that's ever been done on happiness began in 1938 and it tracked 268 students from Harvard. And in 2017, they ended the study. It's the longest of all longitudinal studies on happiness. And you know what they discovered after all of those decades following the same 268 people from their college years until their final years? It says, more than money or fame, what kept people happy throughout their lives was close relationships. Those ties, those relationships protected people from life's discontents, helped to delay mental and physical decline, and they are better predictors of a long and happy life than social class, IQ, or even genes. Think for a moment how often we give up on investing in friendships because we're chasing a career thing. I'm not saying it's wrong, it's good. One of these weeks, I'm sure, we'll talk about the good work ethic and purpose. But there is a way to put things out of order and chase the thing that you think will actually bring meaning and happiness to your life. We need to make more so we can buy more, so we can take better vacations and do these things. And if only I could, then I would. Proverbs says, before you go down that road, just remember that the friendships that last over time are the way that happiness kind of sticks in your life. Every friendship is going to be tested. Every friendship will be tested. The question is how we respond in those moments. Can we have the right conversations? One of the phrases that Daniel says all the time that I really love is, I don't trust people who are always making new friends. Or always have new best friends. That's what he means. They don't have any old friends anymore. Something about that, isn't it? Like, does this person have a friendship reference somewhere? Why is it every time I turn around, they've got a new best group of besties? Is there any, any sense of continuity? Now, you listen to this tonight, and you're like, okay, Glenn, this is it's kind of inspiring, but it's mostly depressing. You're like, I know, I know. I'm aware. <laughs> and that's because we're all keenly aware that none of us have measured up to this. Not only have we failed to find faithful friends, but we failed to be faithful friends. But if we're honest, if we take a look at the mirror, we're like, I don't know, have I loved consistently? Have I spoken graciously? I, I don't know. And some of you are here tonight with the pain of friendships and relationships that have hurt you. People that you did invest in, that you did plan intentionally to spend time with, that you tried to speak well of, but it really backfired. And you find yourself needing new friends, not because you want to, but because this whole ecosystem of relationships that you thought was life-giving turned out to be toxic. What do you do in those moments? What do you do when you've been hurt? Or you find yourself being part of the reason why relationships have failed. Does the Bible have anything to say to us? Thank God it does. When you fast forward from the Proverbs, the Proverbs give us a picture of wisdom. But if we want to look at wisdom in the flesh, we look at Jesus. When we want to see what wisdom looks like with skin on, we see Jesus. 
And what I find so remarkable about Jesus is the friend that he was to those that knew him, his life on earth, that reveals to us the friend that God is, the kind of friend that God is. Think about this. Jesus is the friend who invested diversely. He tells the parable about the sower who scatters seed everywhere. You're like, who does that? What kind of a farmer scatters seed everywhere? Jesus does. What kind of a savior calls people in from the highways and the byways? What kind of a person throws a party and invites everyone? Jesus does. What kind of a person calls as his followers and friends fishermen and tax collectors and women who were not allowed a place of standing in their own society of their day? What kind of friend is this who invests so diversely? Not only that, but Jesus is the friend who planned so intentionally, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Paul says in Ephesians 1, before creation, God already chose you to be adopted as his son and daughter. How's that for planning intentionally? God didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm kind of lonely. Let's, let's have a people. No, no, no. Before this whole thing began, he saw you. He saw me. He chose. Not only that, Jesus is the friend who always speaks graciously. If you're wondering what kind of friend Jesus will be when he finds you at your worst, look at the story in the Gospels where Jesus finds the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he bends down and he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus who finds his followers after the resurrection, followers who had run away scared, one of them had denied him, and Jesus finds them and he says, hey, hey, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, the friend who speaks a gracious word, don't we need that friend tonight? And Jesus, the only friend who loves consistently. John 15 13 through 17, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Friends, as the worship team comes tonight, Jesus, Jesus is the friend who never fails. Jesus is the friend who never will walk away or walk out, never disappoints, never turns away. And not only that, but our love for each other is only possible because of Christ's love for us. You notice that Jesus says to them, I call you my friends, I chose you. And then he says, so love one another. This whole sermon, none of what we said in the first two-thirds, three-fourths, would even be remotely possible if not for the extravagant love of Jesus for me, for you, and for all the people around us tonight. Jesus is the friend who never fails, and our love for one another is only possible because of his love for us. Would you stand with me tonight? I wonder if we could prepare our hearts to come to the table by just opening up our hands all around the room. And allowing your heart to imagine Jesus, the true friend, the faithful friend, near you, here with you. What would you say to him tonight? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm lonely. Jesus, I need your love to heal the wounds. Jesus, I need your friendship tonight. Hold that space. 
Hold that moment. Come Holy Spirit. The comforter, the one who comes alongside, the one who the Father sent to walk with us. Be the friendship that we hunger for. And lead us to one another to be able to truly have the love of God flow in us and through us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. If you would get your communion elements ready to receive, and if you don't have any, could you raise your hand? We have people walking the room who can get them to you. Over here, the Mendels. They're coming your way. So what's happening in this moment of communion? I want to suggest to you that this gift of Jesus, this last supper, this moment that Jesus created with his disciples and that he by his spirit is always creating with us. This is Jesus determining to refriend the world. <laughs> Think who's at the table that night. Judas is going to betray him. Hours later, he's already taken 30 pieces of silver. Jesus feeds him. Peter's going to deny him that night three times. I don't even know the man. Jesus feeds him. You've got Thomas who's going to doubt him hours later. Ah, Jesus didn't. Jesus feeds him. You've got James and John who are going to abandon and run back home to Galilee to resume their life. And Jesus... All of us come to this moment and we need Jesus to refriend us and to refriend the world. And so what we're saying tonight is, Jesus, only you can do this. Only you can feed us. Only you can make the world hospitable again. <laughs> Jesus, we long for your healing. We long for you to make us new. We long for you to make the world hospitable again. Would you feed the people who regularly will walk away? Do that again tonight. And as you do, Jesus, would you make us a people that refriend the world by your spirit? So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And would you just snap that little cracker in half? He broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus doesn't stand at a distance to bring salvation. Jesus gives us him, his very self. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, 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 remember. Jesus, you have given yourself to us. Thank you for restoring us tonight and feeding us tonight. And Lord, make us those who give ourselves to the world. You may receive the broken body. Now you can open that cup up. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Covenant is two sides coming together in agreement. This cup is the new covenant given in my blood. It's gonna cost me everything to make this thing right. It's given for you and it's given for the remission of your sins. We all bring to the table moments of shame, moments of fear, moments of doubt, moments of perversion, moments of stupidity. And Jesus at the table doesn't remind us of those things. He says, go ahead and put that down and here you go. This is my blood shed for you. You're clean, you're renewed. It's a fresh start. And so Jesus Christ, we rejoice in you tonight. We worship you tonight. We bless you tonight. We praise you tonight for giving us a fresh start. The new covenant given in your blood, given for the remission of our sins. And we remember tonight, you may receive the cup. Let's worship the Lord together.
Jim and Janine, thank you. I want to ask our hospitality team to come on up here. All you in that row, come on. Let's go. Come on, hospitality team. They make this place happen around here. And then Kathy and Catherine, if you would come up. And I'm having these groups of people come up tonight for a specific reason. Jim and Janine, 50 years of friendship of togetherness, of staying the course, of weathering the storm. And there's just something about the power to be able to do that that is the kingdom of God at work. Got the hospitality team here. They work hard. They're not blood relatives, but these guys come up and they transform this place and they set up chairs and they vacuum and they make this building possible. They get their children's rooms ready. These guys go hard. And they love each other. They pray together as they're cleaning. They're not just making the building beautiful. They're creating an environment in the spirit. And they're great friends and they take care of one another. And they've walked a long road together. And it's beautiful to watch. I've got Kathy and Catherine here. Both of them, is it the last year and a half? They both lost their husbands. And they both have walked with each other and carried each other prayed for one another and served and gone out to dinner together and they've cried more tears than any of us can imagine and they've done this road together beautifully and I want you to see the different kinds of friendship here the layers the dimensions young hard working together at work not family but we're just friends you got people walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't make it without a friend like this And then you got people who've been living together for five decades and they're just going to keep, until they meet Jesus face to face, they're going to keep being friends. And we can be this together as the church. The layers of friendship. 
And so I think there's an authority in the spirit here, the way these people have lived together, that as we pray, I'm asking that there would be an impartation of friendship in our congregation. That all these loneliness stats that are so normal for other people would not be normal for us. It doesn't have to be that way for the people of the body of Christ. And so would you open your hands and as we pray blessing, Father, I pray that you would make us a befriended people. That you would make us the family of God. Every tribe and tongue and nation and people group, every socioeconomic background, every age group, every demographic. Lord, you know only you can bring every tribe and tongue and nation and people together to speak one name and one language, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray with this kind of long obedience that Jim and Janine have lived. Lord, I pray that you would mark our church with that kind of faithfulness that you would mark our church with that kind of grittiness, that you would mark our church with that kind of forgiveness and long-suffering love, that you'd mark our church with that kind of joyful togetherness, that we would walk the long road of life in the kingdom of God together like they have done. Lord, I pray that you'd make it so we'd have fun together, like these guys have had fun together. Even as they work and do their job, they're laughing and they're playing and they're going out together and enjoying life together with that youthful vitality. I pray you'd make us friends like that here at New Life Church. Lord, mark us with that. For Kathy, for Catherine, the way they have shown us what sticking to it looks like, enduring and persevering and pressing on, Lord, I pray that when it gets hard, we would not quit. Make us people who just keep taking the next step. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I pray that you would teach us to be soul friends with and for each other like these women have been soul friends and they've lifted each other up through the worst days. Lord, I pray that our church would be marked with all of these strands of friendship. So Lord, I pray bless these people and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright, smiling countenance upon this congregation and grant us peace, I pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Let's give God thanks for what he's done here tonight. Thank you all so much. I want to invite our prayer team to come down. Any of you who need prayer, we would love to agree with you, to stand with you, to walk with you, to lay hands on you, anoint you with oil if you would like that. If that's you, come see us after church. If you're new, come see us at Connect Central. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.